marijuana, pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis. Cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than 10 years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter-approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment and legalization go up in smoke? (coughs) Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry, the activists, the medical professionals, the legislators, the economists, the regulators, and the lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on the Coin Podcast Network. Nestled on the banks of the Rogue River in Josephine County, there was a farm owned by a woman who, about 10 years ago, as her friends sought their professional paths in Portland, She knew her place was in the cannabis culture of Southern Oregon. Today, she operates an all-organic, environmentally sustainable, community-oriented business, and even with the challenges facing the industry right now, her life is not only great, it's good. This episode, we speak with Jessica Clements, owner and operator of Good Gardens. You're listening to Mainstream Weedia. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. So, Jessica, I asked this of everybody to start out. What led you to the cannabis industry? I think like most people, I was a consumer in my early years, in my 20s, and a little before that. I moved to Southern Oregon, and that was when I really got exposed to the cultivation of cannabis. It's so, so profound, the culture of cultivation in Southern Oregon with medical being legal since 1996. And people have been growing cannabis there for long, for many years, decades at this point. And so moving there and being a consumer, I really was drawn to the plant. Uh, It was something that I, a lot of people I knew in that area were growing. So I spent time on their farms before I really got into it myself. And so uh, I think just being exposed and working for other people's farms made it pretty clear to me that this is something I wanted to try. So I was working two jobs in the town of Ashland at the time. And I, I decided that in my spare time on my weekends, I would start to put together a little garden. And I did. And I guess the rest is history. So year over year, I just kept growing and failing and growing and failing until I finally got the hang of it. So tell me about Good Gardens, and that's G-U-D, good. How did it start, and where are you now? Yeah, I mean, Good Gardens was, without the name prior, was a dream when state legalization was passed in Oregon in 2016. 
I was so excited. I knew immediately that I wanted to be a business owner in the cannabis space in Oregon and was thankful for the experience that I had in the medical space just to kind of, again, make, make those mistakes and learn. And, and so I ended up finding some agricultural property in Grants Pass on the Rogue River of all places. So thankful to be in that space too with the water nearby and just, just the flat land and the agricultural soil. It's, it's a perfect place to have landed. So very, got very lucky there, but yeah, good garden started as a brand. I wanted it to be, the name is kind of funny. It just kind of came up out of nowhere. We couldn't think of anything super clever. We tried all the things and the things that stuck was like, you know what? We're good. We're good people. Be good, do good, feel good. We could do all, we can do good here. So we just kind of stuck with that. And then the brand and the business really started around the idea of I wanted to be and create something a little bit different than traditional cannabis culture. I wanted to create something a little more lovely and graceful in it. And so I think you'll see that in the brand itself. The branding itself has a lot of elements of farm and it's more agricultural and kind of surreal and folksy, but also the cultivation and practice is a sustainable, we're, you know, we're clean green certified. It's something that I've always cared about on this piece of land that I was so thankful to find. Yeah. So we, we started the farm as a tier two, which is a single largest canopy you can get 40,000 square feet, built it out. Our first harvest was in 2017 as OLCC licensed cultivators was great. And that led us to currently we've been operating now for, I guess, five years. This will be our, I think, fifth or sixth harvest as a legal cannabis producer in the state. And we've expanded to now five licenses. Yeah, we're continuing to grow. So, so it worked. Our cultivation strategies worked and the system worked. So here we are. In the research that I did, looking at the farm, looking at your website, your Facebook page, how you present the brand itself, it's just lovely what you represent and how you present yourself makes you feel good. It's almost like a dream. Like from up here in Portland, I look at this and go, this cannot be real. <laughs> this is a fairy tale. They're living this wonderful dream far away from the rest of the real world. I I agree. And I so appreciate that. It's something that I still feel, you know, with all the ups and downs of the national industry. It's something that my morning walks through the gardens, like I, I still have to be like, pinch me. You know, we, we live on the river, so there's birds flying around and the, you know, the plants grow so fast. And so watching them develop each season is really great. And I think the staff feels it too. Again, it's, it's me really coming from, you know, all sorts of different industries and work environments and, and cannabis being a new space, really wanted to create a business and a place different than all that. And, you know, felt like I had the ability with you know, cannabis business. And, you know, I like to farm, so it fits. <laughs> well, you've captured a beautiful vibe. Oh, thank you. So at your farm, you cultivate outdoor, you cultivate greenhouse, and you cultivate indoor. Was it like choice paralysis or was it that you wanted to offer the best product and the only way that you could accomplish that was to grow in three different ways? That's a great question. And I think that answer has changed over time, but at the beginning, not having, there's no precedent to building a cannabis business. There was no one I could look to and say, how did you do this? Or what worked and didn't work, right? So my philosophy from the very beginning, and I designed our facilities, and you'll see this almost in like every little corner of our building, is if it's our irrigation or our you know, our tray set up, our light set up, our room set up, it's always maximum flexibility. I was like, I want to be able to, if I change my mind, <laughs> which, which happens maybe more than I like, to be able to pivot and make sure that I have the infrastructure to do what the market wants us to do, whether 
you know, people at that time love, you know, loved outdoor, but indoor is like a highly sought after product. And without indoor on our menu, we only have one offering. I think I felt like I had less ability to enter a retail shop and say, I have something for you, no matter what it is, whether it's top tier, top shelf indoor or a budget, you know, economical outdoor. And then all the way, you know, greenhouse is great too. It's also a wonderful place for propagation. We do a lot of breeding as of recent, you know, keeping up with the market. There's so many new interesting genetics that we want to be a part of that by creating our own genetics, but also supporting other breeders in the area. And so we use a lot of those indoor spaces, again, maximum flexibility. Now we're able to use them for some breeding projects and other large-scale propagation that we want to do. And again, through my research, and I know it wasn't necessarily by design, but how has it been being female-owned and operated? And has it presented challenges? I mean, yes and no. I think that being a female business operator, I think the one thing I can respond to that with is it's much like just being a male or any gendered business operator. I run a business. And so that's kind of where my head is at. I, I run, I run with everybody and I'm there with everybody. I think that inevitably, and I think most other women in positions of management or ownership will find that there is some preconceived or unconscious perspectives about our ability and about, you know, I don't, I don't think people would admit that that's the case um, sometimes if confronted with it. But yes, there can be some challenges with it, but I kind of just, I have to disregard those perspectives and just kind of keep doing what I'm doing and let, let the work show, let my ability show, kind of not get bogged down you know, seen as female owned and operated, right? Cause I was the owner and the operator. And when we did our first round of hiring in 2017, you know, we, we grow our staff for post-processing trimming and such. And then I was looking for more long-term employees at that time. And I, I didn't have any agenda to hire one gender or the other. I didn't have anything. I was just looking at the whole team. And I just remember before I knew it, we we're like, you guys are a full female staff. <laughs> Um, and we, and we are currently, we're, we're extremely balanced now, but at that time it was just so funny. I didn't even, it's just, those are the people, those are the individuals that were like more creative, more after problem solve on their own hardest working. I mean, these girls would take the shirt off their back to like pull a bolt or like unlatch something just running through the fields. And I was like, well, those are clearly the people on the team and, uh, and to this, they're still with us today, which is incredible. So five years later, and keep my team and but yeah we've grown since then so we have um we have a balanced group of uh employees and workers and team I consider them my team members I think I'm just so grateful for them too they're dedicated in the same way that I am where it's more than just a business it's like a lifestyle and you can have both right work-life balance or you could just like what you do okay now to some tougher questions because right now It's a rough time, I think, for the Oregon cannabis industry for a variety of reasons. How challenging is it for you right now in this environment? That, yeah, it's like, how much time do you have? Um, (laughs) We have about 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been challenging and it's, it's been challenging since the inception, whether it's not been, again, like lack of precedent and guidance and really having to make all these very, very important, expensive and you know decisions that impact not only my life but the life of my team members community etc with very little information so making big decisions without any information has been kind of part of it so you get a strong stomach early on for this you know, i just kind of learned early on this wasn't going to be some easy ride and that we're in it for the long haul this year in particular has been challenging we saw some of the you know worst oversupply in the market that we've seen since the inception of legal cannabis and Oregon has constantly had an oversupply issue. I mean, again, this is not something that took time for people to kind of find legalization here, come in. And 
acquire property, turn, you know, build their facility. It was like flip of a switch. Like, you know, everyone's it's legal. Everyone's now in the legal market and here we are, like, let's grow. So that was something we, it's been a challenge ever since, but you see this rise and fall, right? This sort of like cyclical nature of things where it's oversupply, businesses fail. Unfortunately, you know, prices rise again, prices fall again with another oversupply because people are jumping back in the market. If that makes sense, it's been a cycle. But this year's been the most challenging, um, especially because we had made the decision to expand and we can we stayed on that trajectory. One of the things that I've learned, for better or for worse, maybe people would disagree with me here, is that I found that if you see the market changing, so far as I've learned, if you get that scarcity mindset and start to change and pivot too quickly, almost 180 and go in a different direction. Most likely by the time you get to where you think you're going, it's corrected itself and you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to kind of backtrack and get back on the path that you were trying to go initially. So I've just tried to learn how to expand and contract operations and plan well, really just optimize the business, do as much as we can with as little as possible, which is great because to be honest, I think organic farming is you can do it pretty inexpensively at scale. Well, it sounds like your initial need to be flexible with every aspect of your farm probably paid off better than you had anticipated originally because of having to adjust to those market changes and preferences and supply and demand issues. And you have carried the mindset that everything about this is flexible. Yeah, it it has to be. And, or, you know, and I, I don't know that I, again, like, I don't know if I knew that going into it. I mean, no one can see five years ahead, right? You're always like, where will I be in five years? Or in five years ago, I wouldn't have imagined this is how it would go. And so that was very much the case, but it has helped me stay able to, to maneuver when necessary. So I'm grateful for that. So maximum flexibility. Let's talk a little bit about the geographic area you're in right now, Josephine County. And the influx of cartel-driven illegal grow operations. And I know it's been really problematic for a litany of reasons. Human rights violations, environmental damage, the guns, the light pollution, everything that comes with it. But an unintended consequence has been that the good actors like you guys can sometimes get lumped in with the bad actors, especially maybe at the legislative level. How has this continued criminal activity impacted your business and the community around you? You know, you're completely correct. I think a lot of the most recent news with recent funding to Josephine County and the realization that these things were happening in our community, you're starting to see a little more enforcement activity around it. Therefore, it's you know, bringing light to it. Has this been something that's been going on in Southern Oregon for a long time? Absolutely. I believe it's been mostly a topic of concern for enforcement and Josephine County has been grossly underfunded. And, you know, you know, we have a community of people who prefer, I believe, more privatized services, uh, community services than publicly funded. So there's been a little bit of resistance on funding, say the sheriff's department or uh, building safety and all those, you know, entities that, on one hand, yes, can come onto your property and tell you what to do with it, which is not terribly popular in the South of the state. However, at the same time, when you have these illicit grows, leaves their hands tied and makes it so that they can't actually help the community, you know, in when the community is still at the same time saying, hey, we need help. So there's been a little bit of change on that, which I think, which I think is great. In terms of how it's affected my business, 
to be honest, I feel like I'm more focused on working in the legal market and kind of focusing on my competition, quote unquote, or, you know, my, the other, other individuals who've been growing alongside me in the legal market and being able to provide, stay competitive in terms of like our interest of our brand and our products to consumers and our impact on the community alongside their impact on the community and stuff like that. I think that's been my main focus. If I can say anything particular, really it's resources for our farm, I think have been difficult to get in the past only because everybody's farming. There's so many farms and even legal, I mean, legal farms, people are growing alongside us and we go into our grow shop and we can't find, you know, the tools we need or this or that. And so that's been when everybody's been farming, (laughs) that's been the biggest thing is just resource, getting our resources for the year. Other than that, I mean, the community has been strained with this and other activity for a long time. And I'm just glad that there's getting some attention and some support because it's a beautiful area and, and it's environmentally so diverse or ecologically so diverse. So any impacts to our land and our water and the agriculture in the area can be severe and I think can be seen if there isn't some sort of enforcement. I think we're getting there. I think we're going to find a balance and Southern Oregon is going to be cared for by the state and the way that they care for other you know, communities and counties. Tell me a little bit about the culture down there, because living up here in Portland, you would think that we wouldn't have any stigma around the plant anymore. But there is, even eight years after the passage of Measure 91. But what's it like down there? Because cannabis is such a part of the DNA of the communities in your area. What you just said about it being in the DNA is a good simile to to what we experience. It that's a good question. And I don't know if I can give a good perspective here because I've been so steeped in the culture and in this community for over a decade that the idea of stigmatization in Oregon, I go, really? People still even, you know, in my in my opinion, I feel like people are have been beat over the head in Oregon with weed, 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 weed for so long that like it's not even, it's almost not even interesting <laughs> to people. Whereas if I leave the state, people are like, I can't ask you enough questions. I'm so curious. I'm so curious. I'm like, wow, nobody asked me questions in Oregon. Everyone's like, oh, I get it. You grow weed, great. But no, I think, I think it is. And I think that's First of all, I just have to promote Southern Oregon as an incredible place. I think north of the passes, which is like around south of Roseburg, people don't come down here. I know people in Portland who have never visited Southern Oregon or don't, it's not even on their radar. And all my friends after college went to Portland and I somehow, you know, migrated south and fell in love. And it is beautiful. It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived. I continue to leave and immediately want to like, there's no other place. So it's beautiful mountains, rivers, the communities are changing too. A lot of younger people are moving there. There's so many like artisanal resources you can get. There's not only people growing weed, but wine and chocolate makers and, you know, CSAs and small farms. And I mean, it's just, really cool communities are in Southern Oregon. So you just can't be lazy. You just got to get out and find little towns with all the cool events and music and whatnot. But that being said, cannabis is close through all of that. I mean, it's, it's something that multi-generationally has been grown in our area. And is there stigma? Sure. I mean, I, I work alongside County commissioners and, you know, older generation, old farmers. I'm in agricultural land. So my neighbors are old farmers and they took a minute for me to be accepted by the community for sure. Especially in 2016, they were like, Whoa, legalization. Oh, you're building a business. They see cameras going up. They see fences going up. They're like, you know, we don't like this. And one of my neighbors who was great. And I think kind of converted and calmed down about it a little bit, said one thing. He's like, you know what? People will drive by your farm. And if you were growing 
strawberries that had a strawberry farm growing it with chemicals, dumping chemicals along the river. They wouldn't even blink an eye, but you're growing organic cannabis and they have a big problem with it. And so it's just about educating the community. And so in the last five years, I've seen people who I thought would never be, you know, amenable to me being in their community, especially the amount, you know, the amount of farms on there. And I see us getting along pretty well. So I think the future is going to be good and it'll just become part of the the landscape even more. I really value the perspective and opinion of the people who've been in the industry since the beginning. And you started in medicinal. You saw the passage of Measure 91. You've built a business and you're still in the industry. So what has Oregon done right? That's great. And that's not a question that you get asked um, or is considered often. What has Oregon done right? They're allowing access to the market was incredible. You know, you don't, all legalization isn't created equal. And the way that legalization was launched in terms of licensure of businesses and operators was extremely accessible to the individuals who live here. The cost for a license is very, is very affordable compared to places in other states and the requirements to be licensed. They've been flexible and their, and their motivation was, is not initially to enforce, but to support the industry. And I really like that. You know, you go in, you're scared, you're starting to talk to government officials about this weed you're growing and selling. And they're like, no, 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 we're here. We want you to do this. We want you to grow and be part of this. And so that that really changing that culture of producers and retailers and you know, all the license types with the government, I think they handled it pretty well. To the contrary, you know, some of the regulations feel like ill, ill-advised or, you know, ill-executed, certainly. But with any national industry or regulation, you have a lot of people who don't know what to do and how to do it. So there's a lot of throwing things at the wall, but they've been flexible as well in adjusting those things and listening to the cannabis business owners and community about what they want to see. With the things that Oregon can control, either at the legislative or regulatory level, what is the biggest challenge right now that you're facing that the state could address? Ooh, that's challenging. There's a handful of things. Um, we just made some great progress on violations, on, on kind of downgrading violations for license holders, which I think is is great. What they did do, which was the biggest hurdle was the moratorium and they renewed the moratorium or extended that statutorily. So they won't be issuing any more licenses, which again, really contributed to the unhealthy market of oversaturation. So they've been doing a lot of the things that I would say, those are the big things that we want to tackle. I think one of the main focuses currently is creating some sort of oversight or system to track market health and advise OLCC in a way that they can actually make decisions on, are we going to release more licenses? Is the market healthy enough to do so? Rather than creating a sort of whiplash environment where they're like, come in, oh, go, you know, stop, come in, stop, and back and forth. So I think we're on the path. Those are a lot of the big discussions that are happening. I think, you know, consumption is being talked about. I think people want to be able to consume. I'm not sure where we're at with that. And then obviously interstate commerce, and you know, We'll get there. Time to talk about federal reform. Most industry folks I talk to don't see it happening in like one sweeping bill, but that it's going to be more like piecemealed together, addressing very specific things that are needed. And there are three issues that keep being brought up. So which of these three would you like to see first? Some sort of safe banking or banking reform the revocation of the 280E uh, tax clause or interstate commerce. What order would be most beneficial to you and your business? 
That's incredible. I'm going to follow the order in which you stated them. Those were going to be my responses to your question. That, And I think that's the way that it will fall. It will start with the banking. Extremely important that we have access to, to safe banking. It's a huge challenge for us. And that's something that can't really be mitigated at the state level necessarily, but it has to be a federal shift. In addition, the, yes, the revocation of the 280E. I'm not sure that many people outside of the cannabis industry are aware that we are unable to write off large amount, depending on what license type you are, what business you run of our expenses, which makes us running in a very unfavorable or prohibitive way as a business. I think that those two almost, we, those could be a tie in my in my book. They could get those going together. Then we could pave the way for clear interstate commerce, federal legalization. It would allow us access to funding. I think people don't realize we don't have funding as available as any other businesses. So oftentimes we're working with just revenue and in a down market, you're not seeing healthy market behavior from businesses. We're not, able, we wouldn't even be able to sustain with federal, co- you know, you know, exchange of products. I don't know. You know, we're not ready for that. We need to be able to be a solvent business first and support it that way. Um, we're farmers, at least in, in my business, I'm a farmer. I don't have access to subsidies. I don't have good insurance on my crop. Farming is risky inherently and even more so in cannabis. And so if they can support us and allow us to align, I think that we'd also bring in the interest of more investment. I think investors have been beaten up by cannabis in the last few years. It's not a happy place to put your money right now. And so if we could advertise as a reasonable business to invest in, you'd see a lot more healthy promotion of ours in a federal legalization. Okay, this one's going to be tough. But in one sentence, where do you see the future of the Oregon cannabis industry? I'm afraid that we're going to see the cyclical commodity cycle for a few more years. Until the feds get it together. Until what we discussed. Yeah. Until banking and 280E is abolished and interstate commerce comes online. Oregon is a small state for small businesses. And no one year has been the same as the next. And I don't anticipate that being the case until there's some big reform. But I'm here for it. So that was going to be my follow up. You're in for it, right? Let's go. (laughs) Jessica, if people want more information about good gardens, your farm, the area down there, your lovely vibe, where they can find your products, where do you want to send people? I want to send people, first of all, contact us. Uh, You can do so through our website. That's goodgardens.com. And that's G-U-D gardens.com um, or on Instagram. We're always on Instagram like the rest of everyone. Um, that's at good gardens, G-U-D-G-A-R-D-E-N-S. And we're on Facebook, believe it or not. Reach out through any of those platforms. I think that's the best way. We have maps to our products. We also answer our phone and emails and Instagram DMs. So you can ask us any question you want. We're in Southern Oregon Grants Pass. And if you're in the area and reach out at a good time, we'd be happy to show you the farm. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Jessica Clements, owner and operator of Good Gardens. That's G-U-D Gardens in Grants Pass. Mainstream media. Oregon's cannabis industry is facing tough challenges right now, from oversaturation to dwindling margins and living through the same economic challenges as other industries, but with fewer options to increase their very slim margins. The next six to 18 months are critical. But if I've learned one thing from producing this podcast, those in this industry are in it for more than just the money. Thanks for listening to Mainstream Media on The Coin, 
Podcast Network.